You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarysouth.com. We want you to be in God's Word this morning, and so our ushers have Bibles for you. If you don't have one with you this morning, we want you to have one in your hands, open to Mark chapter 9 this morning as we continue uh, walking with Jesus, walking in the footsteps of Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. As we begin this morning, I want to start this morning with uh, something a little different. I want you to take a look at a painting that is behind me on the screen. Uh, This is going to help us to set the stage uh, for what we're going at in Scripture here this morning. It's going to help us set even the context. Um, Do we have any uh, art history experts out there with us this morning? I see zero hands. Zero art history experts uh, for some of you, you know that 20 years ago I went to actually art school uh, and explored the fine arts there as well, but uh, that's okay. If you're not a, an art history expert, you may know uh, the name of this famous work. Anybody know the name of this painting behind me? It's a really famous painting. Nothing out there, okay. Uh, well, maybe for some of those uh, uh, maybe 90s kind of era people, to help you with this, let's think about maybe who painted this, Okay. Uh, I want you to think of Ninja Turtles. Anybody know the Ninja Turtles? Right? Okay. All right. So you know some of those names of the Ninja Turtles. So who knows some of those names of the Ninja Turtles? Philip, what do you got? Michelangelo. Michelangelo. It's not Michelangelo. Anybody else? Raphael. Raphael. Yes, it is Raphael. Okay. The rest is Donatello (laughs) and Leonardo as well. But yes, this is Raphael. This is one of his most famous paintings. He was an amazing Renaissance artist. He was also an architect back in the, he lived in the 1500s. This painting was his most famous, and it was his final painting that he completed. In fact, he didn't quite complete it, but he completed it uh, just, just about finished uh, before he died in the year 1520. It's entitled The Transfiguration. Um, it's a painting that is depicting the transfiguration of Jesus Christ on the mountain. Now, we just studied this last week in Mark chapter 9, verses uh, 1 to 13. But if you, I want you to look at that painting closely and uh, have a look there. In the upper parts, you see Jesus, right? You see Jesus uh, radiating glory. And up, up the upper part is really the, the transfiguration taking place. Uh, we see that uh, Elijah is on the left and, and Moses is on the right. Remember that they represented the law and the prophets. And then directly below in the middle scene, we see these these three disciples. We see Peter, James, and John, and they are in absolute fear and then wonder as to what's going on right in front of their face. Remember, at this time, the disciples were struggling to believe. They were struggling with the revelation that Jesus had that, that he must suffer and die and rise again. They didn't quite comprehend what was going on. And so for his disciples and for us, they go up this mountain. Jesus gloriously reveals that he is the long-promised radiating Messiah, that he's the fulfill, fulfilled revelation of the Scriptures. That's why Moses and Elijah are there. And that he's also the Holy Son of God. Remember, God spoke, this is my son. Listen to him. And then also that he is the suffering Savior. And so through this, we learn that Jesus can be trusted. Uh, He can be believed beyond any danger, trial, suffering, or even death. Uh, Through this, we learn that if we want to keep our faith while losing our lives for him, we need to continually see his unveiled glory through his word. We must remember the ancient testimony that's pointing towards him. We must live under that divine authority, obeying him, and we must embrace the same humility that he had. And so I prayed that over the last week and in the days ahead, this transfiguration is transforming our hearts Right? To continue to follow, to behold his glory, and to be changed. And that it would motivate our feet and our hands for the gospel at hand. Now, as you look at the bottom of that painting, you're going to see another scene unfolding. And this scene takes place in our text today. So on top of the mountain, we see holy, fear, light, glory, revelation. It's awesome. But on the bottom of the mountain, you see arguing confusion, unbelief, and you see anguish. 
as awesome as it would be to stay up on top of that mountain in the glory of God forever, just like Peter wanted to stay up there. The ministry that we are called to must take place in the darkness of the valley. And so Jesus takes his disciples down. Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he, Jesus, answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the privilege. We thank you for the opportunity to gather as the saints, to gather as the redeemed here this morning. Lord, you are good. And your goodness is seen on our faces as we come in here this morning. That you are a God of glory. That you are a God who shines the light of the glory upon our souls and we are changed. Lord, I pray as we look at your text today that you would teach us that you would move me aside and your word would pierce directly into our souls by the power of your Holy Spirit, and that by doing that, Lord, you would change us into your glory. You would bring about repentance and faith. You would grant us those things. Lord, we trust you by your word, by your spirit, to speak to us. And Lord, as we look at this text of, of you healing yet again another person, teach us the deep meaning and teach us how to apply it directly into our lives. We pray this in the name of King Jesus. Amen. What's impossible by might is possible by faith when believed through prayer. I'm going to say that again. What's impossible by, by might is possible by faith when believed through prayer. That's really the nail of what's going on here today. That's the, the main thing that we need to take home with us today. As Jesus comes down the mountain with his disciples, they're still in awe of his glorious splendor, but that glory doesn't last long. As their, as their feet hit the valley floor, they run smack dab into a crowd that is pressing, scribes that are arguing, fathers that are grieving, disciples disbelieving. It's a mess. It was faithless, it was hopeless, it was powerless, it was a mess. In, in many ways, it was impossible. And what we see in these first four verses is that transformation, true, powerful, spiritual transformation, is impossible by might. It's impossible by might, and we need to recognize our own futility. Verses 14 to 18. We're going to look at them quickly here again. 
when they came to the disciples, they come down the mountain, when they came to the disciples, they saw this great crowd. Remember, wherever Jesus went, there was great crowds following him. And whenever there was crowds, there was also scribes. We see the scribes here are arguing with them. Now, up to this point, it's not unusual or unexpected to see the scribes laying charges against Jesus' disciples. And although Jesus and his disciples have experienced a bit of a reprieve lately as they were in Galilean territory, the scribes have found them. They've searched and they found Jesus and his merry men all ministering. Now, obviously, the scribes came to Mount Hermon, where they were, at the base of the mountain, and they only found nine disciples, okay? Peter, James, and John, they were up on the mountain, right? And the ultimate outcome of this interaction with these nine disciples is that it erupted into a heated argument. But what are they arguing about? Well, let's keep reading here and find out. Verse 15, immediately, all the crowd, when they saw him, when they saw Jesus, they were greatly amazed, and they ran up to him, and they greeted him. Right? So the scribes here, right, they were trying to find Jesus, and so the crowds were also trying to, found, trying to find Jesus. But all they found at the base of that mountain was nine disciples, right? These aren't the guys that they were looking for. They were just mere facsimiles of the real thing. And so when the crowd finally sees this Jesus that they, they, they heard about, and he's coming down the mountain, they run to him, they approach him, they are amazed. In fact, it says they are greatly amazed. He's finally here. This one that they've been looking for is finally here. They run to him, they greet him. But then Jesus hears arguing going on. And so he asks the crowd, Particularly, he's asking the scribes, what are you arguing about with them? What are you arguing about with my disciples? To which the scribes and the disciples, or to which the scribes answer, um, not the scribes answer, another man in the crowd answers. Someone from the crowd answers, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. So the answer to this arguing that's going on was the fact that the disciples were powerless. They were powerless to heal this young boy. Now, if you look back at that painting, we're going to put it back up there. If you look to the bottom uh, right and you see, you can see this father with his son. You see it right up here on the right side. The father's in the green and the son is right here. And his mouth is open, his eyes are, are wide, and his body is stiff. The disciples couldn't heal him. The spirit that's inside of him is making him mute. It seizes him. It throws him down. He foams and grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. The son's face, if you look there, is full of anguish. He's in turmoil. The text says that he's experiencing the power of a spirit with him. In fact, this is a demon. And so we see that he is possessed. And the effects of this demon possession was that they were at war inside of him. They were overpowering him so that he couldn't speak. His mouth would foam, it says. He would grind his teeth. His jaw would be locked up. His body would stiffen. He would become rigid. As you're looking at these symptoms, any modern doctor would tell you these symptoms of convulsing and foaming and, and locked jaw and rigidity is what's known as Tonic, clonic, grand, mal seizures most likely would be diagnosed with epilepsy. So when I was a kid, I had a special needs aunt, my Auntie Clary. She was a wonderful, wonderful lady. But she would sometimes have seizures. If she didn't take her medicine, her jaw would lock up, her body would stiffen. If you remember, Pastor Trevor was here a couple weeks ago. 
His daughter, Hope, who has a brain injury, is still having seizures to this day. In her case, she loses control of her body to the point that she even stops breathing. It's not a pretty sight. It's, it's really scary, especially when you're a parent to that child. You're watching them helplessly. And so this young boy would have had a really dangerous life. The text reveals that this demon would throw him down, uh, slam him down to the ground. So dangerous. In fact, if you look down to verse 22, this father tells Jesus that he often gets thrown down into water or into fire. You see what's going on here is this, this demon is causing these epileptical symptoms. And the ultimate desire of that demon is that this child would die. He wants to kill him. And so no wonder when you think about this father and he's been seeing this his whole life, when he hears that Jesus is in the area, he's going to take his son to him. He loves his son. He doesn't want him to be experiencing this anymore. He's so worried he's going to die. And so in his desperation, he takes him to go find him. But then he doesn't find him because he's up a mountain. So he settles for the next best thing. He asks the disciples to cast it out. Maybe these disciples have power. We know back in chapter 6, Jesus sent out his disciples and, and they were doing the same works as him, the same miraculous things. And so it's safe to assume that these disciples would have tried. They would have tried as hard as they could, but ultimately the text says here they were not able. They were not able to heal him. They weren't able to cast out this demon. They weren't able to heal him. They were powerless. They couldn't cast it out. It was impossible in their own ability. They weren't able, they weren't able to transform this situation. It was impossible by might. Now when I think about this situation and the impossibility of anybody trying to help this boy, thinking about the desires of this father to have his son physically healed, to be set free from his demon. As we think of this together, I'm sure that some of us have, in, have faced impossible physical challenges and situations in our lives as well, whether that be sickness or disease or debilitating injuries. These issues in our lives bring a lot of challenges and pain. So many of you know, I was, I was born missing uh, most of my left arm. Uh, when the doctor brought me in to see my mom after the C-section, the doctor had tears in his eyes because he was concerned about my malformity. And although it didn't really slow me down much in life, there were days, especially as a young person, when I wished that I, was, I wasn't different. Um, I would have welcomed a day when I could wake up and my arm was there and, and I could continue on. But it was an impossible physical issue. Fast forward to when Kim and I got married 21 years ago. And then soon after, our, we started having children. We had our first two, two boys. And we wanted more children. But after five miscarriages, and then having both of Kim's fallopian tubes rupturing because of tubal pregnancies, natural pregnancy ended for us. And it was physically impossible. And as you heard the story of the Peacock family, like I mentioned a couple weeks ago, and how Hope experienced this, this traumatic brain injury, her parents would have loved 100% healing for their daughter. But she will always deal with lifelong, impossible struggles. So along with the seizures, like I mentioned, she also deals with blindness. And the Peacock family is powerless to change these kinds of things in her life. It's impossible. And if I was to sit down with each one of you, we would find out within your lives or somebody you know that you're facing impossible physical challenges. We all have these. And as the disciples were unable and they were powerless to change, to, powerless to transform this little boy's physical condition, we have to remember 
the greater than all of that, the most impossible condition that we could ever want changed for us is our spiritual condition. Right? As we're looking at these miracles in Scripture, every healing, every deliverance has a greater gospel reality, right? It speaks of also spiritual healing, spiritual deliverance. The reality is, though, that in our own power, in our own strength, we cannot transform anything. No matter how much we want it, we cannot transform our spiritual condition in our own strength. And as Jesus comes down, brings his three disciples down into the darkness, into the misery of the valley, what does that show us? Shows us that we're living in a fallen world, full of fallen people with fallen desires. It's a world that Colossians would say we are in bondage to. It's a domain of darkness. It has been stained. It has been twisted. It has been distorted. Why? Because of our sin. You see, the fact that we experience such brokenness in our bodies, in our relationships, in our spiritual state, it's because way back in the garden, what happened? Adam and Eve chose to sin against the Lord. And if you and I were there, we would have done the exact same thing because that's who we are. Sin. The reason this child is experiencing epileptic convulsions and the reason this demon is trying to kill him by throwing him down into fires and into water is because Romans 3.23. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. Romans 5.12. Death spread to all because... All sinned. It's our universal problem, right? Friends, as much as this child is experiencing such pain and such torment and such suffering, what it's doing is painting the picture that we, we're all suffering under the weight of our sin. The universe is experiencing the pain and the suffering and the torment because of our sin. Paul says in Romans 8.22, the whole creation the whole creation has been growing together in the pain of childbirth up till now. The suffering of our own doing is impossible to change by our own doing. We can't change it on our own. And as much as this father wants relief and, and life for his son, he wants powerful transformation apart from Jesus Christ, we are powerless. We are hopeless. And so the first step to true, powerful, spiritual transformation is to understand our own futility. It's to accept the fact that we can't change on our own. We can't do it. We don't have the power. We are unable in our own strength. Even as Christians, even as Christians, even though our hearts have been made alive, we have new life in Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit in us, sometimes we forget this. Sometimes, like the rest of the world, we want to try to fix ourselves up on our own strength. We want to do our own spiritual renovation in our own strength. We try to pull up our own spiritual bootstraps. We want to change, and so we try harder and harder and harder. We do better. We go longer. And we try to do all these things in our own strength. We treat symptoms. We modify behavior. And maybe on the outside, that looks good for a little while. But it doesn't last. Because the root cause has not been changed. The heart has not been transformed. It's like the prophet Jeremiah, who said in 13... Jeremiah 13, 23, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? This is a rhetorical question. You can't. You can't. And so the first step here, and the first step of the gospel is, is always to understand that spiritual transformation is impossible by might. And we need to recognize our own futility. But as the story goes on, it doesn't stop there. 
It doesn't stop there because what's impossible by might is possible by faith. It's possible by faith. We need to believe in his ability. Believe in Christ's ability. Verse 19, he answers them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. So as Jesus looks at this menacing crowd and as he sees the scribes gloating over his disciples' lack of power, he sees the crowd mobbing and they want to be healed. He sees his disciples still confused. And what he sees above all here is faithlessness. They are unwilling to believe, and it grieves him. In fact, it upsets him here. We see holy exasperation because of the sinful hold upon the people, the sinful hold of unbelief upon the people. Now, just on a side note, you know, sometimes... We always want to tell, G- tell people about how loving, how gracious, how merciful Jesus is. And he is. He is. But he's also holy and just. And he is righteous. He is God. As Jesus walked this earth, he would often get frustrated. He would groan. We already seen that. He would sigh at the slowness of our faith. Oh, ye of little faith, he would say. He would get angry. He would get angry at people. This was righteous anger. Remember, he goes to the temple, and and we're going to see that. He's going to turn the tables over in the temple. He's going to curse a tree. He harshly rebukes his disciples. Jesus was a hell and brimstone preacher. Just listen to the Sermon on the Mount. It's not all unicorns and lollipops with Jesus. In this instant, he has holy frustration, and he reveals that. Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? But he doesn't stay there. He says, bring him to me. Verse 20, and they brought the boy to him. And when the Spirit saw him, saw Jesus, immediately he convulsed the boy. He fell on the ground. He rolled about. And he began foaming from his mouth. Right? This, this demon sees Jesus and he induces an epileptical atta- attack. And now it's happening right at the feet of our Savior. Just pictured that father again, his face and his son going through all of this again, seeing his beloved son going through such trauma. But then as all of this is happening, Jesus looks to this father and he says to him, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. So we see this loving father also revealing his own exasperation, his own hopelessness, his own weak faith. He says, but if you can do anything, You see, he's still jaded here, still jaded by the inability of the disciples. They couldn't heal him. And he's really wondering if there's any kind of hope at all. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. He goes after Jesus' heart. Jesus hears the frustration. Jesus is a compassionate man a compassionate God. Jesus responds, though. Jesus says to them, if you can, again, frustrated by the lack of faith, frustrated that even though the news of his power has spread all over the known world in, the, in, in Israel, in, in the Gentile territory, we see that this man is questioning whether Jesus can really help him. But then Jesus proclaims the main problem. He turns the conversation back to faith because that's what it's all about. What he's saying is that the problem doesn't lie with me. The problem lies with you. 
The problem with faith is not a problem with the source of faith. It's a problem with the receivers of faith. And he says to him, all things are possible for one who believes. You see, friends, Christ's power is not limited. It's not limited at all. It's our faith that is limited, and it's our faith that limits his powerful work in our lives all the time. Again, faith is not natural to us. We know that. Faith is not something that we can just whip up on our own. We're not born with faith. Faith is a supernatural gift. It's a gift of grace. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace... You have been saved through faith. And that is not your your own doing. It is a gift of God. It is the gift of God. But like any gift, we have to receive it. Like any gift, you have to open it. Like I said before, faith is like a parachute. If somebody's telling you a plane's going down and they throw you a parachute... You don't put the parachute under the seat. You don't put the parachute on your lap and just look at, the, look at it and say, well, that's a parachute. That can save me. You put the parachute on. You strap it in. You trust it with all of your life. And so my question for you is, have you opened the gift of faith? Grace. Faith is a gift of grace. Have you strapped yourself in to faith? And this father here knows that his faith is weak. And so he asks for more. Verse 24. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. So even though his faith was weak, the desire of his heart was to believe more. He knew he didn't have it within himself. And so he asks for more help. He says, help my unbelief. What's impossible by might is possible by faith. And we need to believe in his ability, not ours. Now, I want to be really careful here when we talk about how our faith is connected to Christ's power. You see some groups within the umbrella of Christianity have run off with this in a false direction. Telling people that God is not healing you. God is not bringing you prosperity. God is not bringing you happiness because you don't have enough faith. They often teach that if you're you're still experiencing sickness, if you're still suffering from disease, it's because you don't have enough faith. All things are possible for one who believes. If you've watched the film American Gospel, and, and I would recommend that you do, you see at the center of this false teaching is this misconstrued idea of faith. You know, I was once told, I'm talking about my arm, that I could go to Redding, California and have my arm healed. And I guarantee you that if I went there, my arm would not be healed, and they would tell me it's because I don't have enough faith. This is a tragic distortion of what we're talking about here. All things are possible for one who believes When I speak about faith being a gift here, it's a gift of grace. It's a gift gift for all of us. It's not a hyper-spiritualized gift. It's not the same gift these false teachers are claiming to have. It's not the spiritual gift of faith from 1 Corinthians 12.9. It's a gift of grace for all who believe. George Mueller was a man of great faith. Anybody know George Mueller, great man of faith. In England in the 1800s, he operated his life on what he called a faith principle. By faith in God and his word. And throughout his life, he did incredible things by faith. He cared for over 10,000 orphans in his life. And through it all, he never asked for money. And at many times, when it seemed like they were at the end of all of their resources, God would abundantly answer their call 
and provide their needs for their ministry to the orphans. And he was a man that many people at that time would say, this man has the gift of faith, to which he would often reply. I've got a quote there. He wrote this. He said, think not, dear reader, that I have the gift of faith. That is the gift of which we read in 1 Corinthians 12, 9. Down lower, he says, it is true that the faith which I am enabled to exercise is altogether God's own gift. It is true that he alone supports it and that he alone can increase it. It is true that moment by moment I depend upon him for it and that if I were only one moment left to myself, my faith would utterly fail. But it is not true that my faith is that gift of faith which is spoken of in 1 Corinthians 12, 9. Mueller was very careful to emphasize this because he wants all people to know that they all have access to this faith. Like from Ephesians 2, it's by grace you have this faith. It's not a hyper-spiritual gift. It's a gift of grace for all believers. By grace we believe. By grace we can have faith. And by grace we can have more faith. All things are possible for one who believes. In Jesus Christ alone, according to his promises, according to his word, knowing that in this world we're still going to have troubles, knowing that we're still going to have sickness, we're still going to have disease, we are going to face persecution, we're going to face famine and sword, we're promised these kinds of things. Just because we have faith, those things don't just stop. And yes, God still does miracles. He still does heal. And we're called to ask him for such things. Just read the book of James. But our faith is not based on whether or not physical problems are solved. It's not about the physical. What's greater is always the spiritual. So when it comes to true, powerful, spiritual transformation, what's impossible by might is possible by faith, believing in his ability alone. So maybe you're praying for a friend who just had a heart attack. And that's good. You need to pray for that, believing that the Lord can heal, and he does. But are you praying for their heart, their spiritual heart? Has their heart been open to the good news of Jesus Christ? Maybe the Lord, maybe you want the Lord to help you with your child rearing, your, your raising up of your children. Maybe you're asking the Lord for help. Just, I just want these kids to behave. Are you praying that the Lord would give them a spiritual heart and eyes to see and ears to hear to obey him first above all? Are you struggling with your own spiritual condition right now? Does your own heart seem cold lately? Does the Bible seem to just be quiet, not making any change in your life right now? Does it seem lifeless to you? I would say to you, cry out to the Lord like this, man, I believe. Help my unbelief. And then... Believe his promise that all things are possible for those who believe. Are you struggling with fear? Are you struggling with anger? Struggling with despair in your heart? Do you feel hopeless to change? I would say cry out to the Lord. I believe. Help my unbelief and then believe the promise. All things are possible for those who believe. Are you struggling with sin in your life right now? And is it stealing away the affections for the Lord? Ask the Lord to help you in your unbelief. All sin is unbelief. And then run to his promises. Run and ask the Lord to grant you repentance and faith, trusting that his promises are always true. Maybe you're wondering this morning if you're even a Christian. Maybe you're looking at your life and you're seeing, am I even changed? Do I even believe any of this? Maybe you see your need to believe, but you don't know how. Cry out to the Lord. I believe. Help my unbelief.
and then run to his word, the promises of God. They were always sure. They were always true. Believe them. Because he came from heaven for us. He lived in our place, walking in our place. He experienced our temptations. He lived the perfect life. Perfect sinless life. And then he went willingly to the cross for you, for your sins. And he takes the beatings. He takes the nails. He takes our death upon himself. He takes the wrath of God upon himself. He absorbs all of the wrath of the sin for those who believe. And then he turns to us as he rises from the grave and he offers us everlasting life, forgiveness of our sins, hope and joy and faith. All things are possible for one who believes. So what's impossible by might is possible by faith, but the story doesn't end there. There's something more. As you see this father crying out for more faith, he's going to God. Verse 25. When Jesus saw that the crowds came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit. He's saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. You know, what's interesting here is this is the last exorcism you see in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus has delivered so many demons up to this point in Scripture. But the focus now is shifting. The focus is shifting towards the cross. Verse 26, after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. As the crowd witnessed this violent process, And how this demon comes screaming out of this boy, and now this boy seems dead. They probably think Jesus only made things worse. Imagine this father looking down at his child. He looks like he is, is he dead? Did he kill him? We have to remember the disciples were struggling with the concept of Christ's death and resurrection. They were still struggling with this. How can this be so? And so again, we see Jesus taking the opportunity to show them that they can trust him. Verse 27, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up. And the scriptures say that he arose. He arose. The same word is used as resurrection in the scriptures. This little boy is not dead. This boy is alive. It's another portrayal of Christ's coming resurrection for his disciples. They can believe him. And this father's faith was answered with action. He has his son back. And he is free now from the bondage of sin. Jesus said that that demon cannot enter him anymore. What a picture of salvation. It's glorious. Verse 28, when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he says to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. What's impossible by might is possible by faith when believed through prayer. We need to pray with full dependency. So in all the weakness of his faith, this this father was crying out to the Lord, asking for more faith. First he asked him for healing, but now he asks him for faith. Faith is fully proven when prayer is fully dependent. As the disciples were powerless, the disciples were useless. As the father's faith was futile, He was also useless in this situation. If a person says that he believes, yet almost never goes to the Lord in prayer, we're revealing a deeper spiritual problem. These disciples, they they still need to know that if if they truly believe in Christ, 
Jesus wants them to know that you're going to have to live your life out in prayer. As Jesus would often go up the mountain and pray. And as you turn the pages to the book of Acts, you see the first church always praying. Unceasing prayer. Praying at all times. Devoting themselves to prayer. You see, the disciples are always going to need the Lord's divine intervention if they're going to want to get anything of any spiritual value, any spiritual good done. It's the same with us. Jesus is teaching about his resurrection. And he's also teaching about their need to be going to the Lord to do what only he can do. Jesus is, is, is going to die. He's going to rise from the grave. He's going to appear to his disciples and then he's going to go to heaven to the right hand of the Father and he's going to leave his disciples on their own but with his spirit. And they're going to have to depend desperately on God to work powerful things through them. Apart from him, they can do nothing. John MacArthur says about this text, the disciples depended on their own power and neglected to pray. The lesson for them was that humble, dependent prayer is the highway that faith takes to the power of God. What's impossible by might is possible by faith when believed through prayer. So when it comes to true, powerful, spiritual transformation, or anything else for that matter, are you praying with full dependency? Are you? Is your faith being proven on your knees? Is my faith being proven on my knees? This type of demon could only come out through prayer. Are there things in your life, things around you, your situations, that you're not seeing change in? Are you praying? Are you asking? Are you believing? The reality is that, that most professing Christians... Don't give themselves to deep, abiding prayer. They don't give themselves to fervent, believing, regular prayer. Remember, Jesus would say, ask and you will receive. His brother James would say, if you don't ask, you won't receive. As much as we claim to love the Lord, as much as we say that we believe, and we go to church and we read his word and we seek fellowship and community, if prayer is not at the center of our faith, Christ's power in the church, in your life, for your good, will be limited. It will. As I'm preaching this to you, I'm preaching this to myself. One of our distinctives at our church is fervent prayer. Dependent and expectant. We need to be reminded of that over and over. We need to be dependent upon the Lord and expecting that he will answer all of our prayers according to his promises, according to his will, according to his way. Because we see it right here. And we see it all over Scripture. Brothers and sisters, what's impossible by might is possible by faith when believed through prayer. As a church, we want to grow in prayer. We have monthly prayer and worship nights where we're going to God's Word. And we're letting the Word lead us in prayer. We also have before church, every Sunday, we have at 8.30, out just in the cafeteria area, a group of people who are praying. And you are invited to join us in fervent prayer together. But more than that, with that, where is your prayer life at? Do you have a quiet space that you go to? Do you close the door? Do you spend time with the Lord, seeking his will, his way, asking for him to do true, powerful, spiritual transformation in your life and others around you? We want to grow in this together. And I pray that you would join us in that. But as we close, can we all just together this morning, let's take a moment right now. Let's close our eyes. Let's go to the Lord. Let's confess our unbelief to God. Let's confess our lack of faith 
in who he is and what he can do. Let's confess our second guessing. Let's confess our questioning. Let's confess our running away from him. Running to ourselves. Running to the world. Let's confess that we often say in our actions to God, if you can, let's confess our sin and unbelief. Lord, our faith is often weak. But this morning, can you come and change us? Would you grant us repentance? Would you grant us faith? Would you grant us the ability to say we believe, Lord, help our unbelief? I believe. Help my unbelief. Jesus, you said all things are possible for those who believe. We believe. Help our unbelief. As we marvel at what you have done here in this text today, as you have healed this boy Help us to remember that you have also transformed us. Help us to remember how loving and compassionate you are, how holy and just you are. Lord, we worship you today. We love you. We thank you for your promises. We thank you that through all of this, your disciples learned the lesson. We see that in Acts. We see that in the early church, they were men of prayer, men and women of prayer, fervent, unceasing, trusting, expectant, dependent prayer. Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Lord. You are risen. And in that resurrection, we have power, we have new life, we have new hearts. We have your Holy Spirit within us. Not by might, but by my spirit, declares the Lord. Lord, we recognize our own futility. We believe in your ability. We believe through prayer. Lord, we ask that you would do the impossible. You would do it in us. Would you truly, powerfully, spiritually transform us today? Would you remove any doubt from our hearts? Would you free us from striving in our own strength? And would you help us to believe and trust in the only one who can save us? Lord, we pray that you would do the impossible. Nothing is impossible with you. We ask all this in the mighty name of King Jesus. Amen.